Hey listeners, welcome to another episode of Hey Hey NWA. I'm Peyton Finley. And I'm Zach Pankey. And today we are highlighting the documentary about Dog Patch USA. So around the microphones, we have Danielle Keller, who is a producer of the film. And we have Heather Carter, who is the executive producer. And we have Jeff Carter, who is the director of the film. Welcome to the show, all of you. Thank you Thank for having you. us. Mm-hmm. So Dog Patch USA, I can imagine... Some people listening have no idea what Dogpatch USA even is to begin with. So let's just start there. What is Dogpatch USA? Uh, Dogpatch USA is a theme park that was uh, based on the Little Abner comic strip um, that was in uh, the vicinity of Harrison, Arkansas, about seven miles south of Harrison, about seven miles north of Jasper on Highway 7. Park opened in 1968 and closed in 1993. Okay. So it's it's been closed. I'm trying to do math in my head. Uh, 25, 25, 25, 25 years. Yeah. years. So um, what made you want to make a documentary about this closed, abandoned theme park? Well, we, we own a business, cartersav.com. So you can go check that out. But a little plug there for you guys. <laughs> um, and so every year we sit down as a business and we say, where are we going to invest? Where are we going to grow? Where are we going to do a, a, a project that maybe is for community? And so we sat down and we said, we, we want a project. We want to do a film project. That was our goal. And we wanted to do a project that had something we were passionate about, something that was community, our community-based, and something that we could really could kind of handle um, as a small business. And so... When we started looking at projects, Dogpatch fit all those criteria because I, Heather and I had both gone there as kids, so it was something we were familiar with. So we were passionate about that. We both had pictures from when we were in the park when we were little, and and um, it was something that was hadn't been done before. Full documentary on Dogpatch has never been done, and the ones that have been done were were generally more about the closing of the park, and they were generally didn't really highlight what Dogpatch really was, and didn't highlight the characters didn't highlight the shows didn't highlight those things that we wanted to do that we wanted to to show dog patch for for what it was and what people so much enjoyed and so it had to kind of meet these criteria plus we also had to be able to kind of afford it as well i mean we couldn't just go out and do just huge million dollar documentary we had to put our arms around something that we were passionate about and that we could that we could afford to do and dog patch fit all those so. I think too that we um, we spent a lot of time researching it before we even started the project. And the more that we researched it, the more that we met people, just the more that we fell in love with the project and the people that were in the park. And so it was it was kind of a process, but um, it's been an amazing one. So Dog Patch is based on a comic strip, correct? Yes. So. Where did this, was this like a Harrison local comic strip? Was the, what is what is Dogpatch as far as the comic strip goes? So Little Abner is a comic strip, right? Okay, that was started in 1934. And now, now this is this is very relevant because Al Cap started Little Abner at, at the same time, and he was in Boston, and at the same time when Superman, 
Batman. All of these comics were being born. They were all being born at the same time. Little Abner was right there. It was a hillbilly-themed uh, comic strip that ran from 1934 to 1977. And it was, it was very political. Uh, it was a lot of satire. Mm -hmm. um, but it was very, very popular. Um, 60 million readers a day. Wow. This is, I mean, it was a big, big deal. And then someone came along taking this little Lil Abner comic strip and said, we should build a theme park in Arkansas, in Harrison, Arkansas, of all places, around this comic strip? Was I mean... Yes, because it was very... I mean, this, you got to realize we're, we're, we're 1967 now. So I know that's hard for us to imagine, but in 1967, the, pop, the comic strip was as big or bigger than batman i mean these were this was huge characters mm -hmm. and so there was a realtor in harrison arkansas um he had been contacted by the rainy family the rainy family wanted to sell their trout farm they had a trout farm and on this trout farm they had two beautiful springs and they had a place where people could fish they had a, a kind of a, a waterfall they had a cave they had all of this stuff which very much resembled little abner's home which was little abner in the comic strip lived in Dogpatch, USA. Okay. And so O.J. Snow walked around the property. Now, this is 1967, early 1967, and said, wow, this could be Dogpatch, USA. He read the comic strip every day. And he said, mm -hmm. this could be Dogpatch, USA. And so O.J. Snow from Harrison, Arkansas, reached out to Al Cap. And Al Cap had other offers. I mean, Al Cap was, this guy was nationally known. He traveled the world. I mean, this guy had turned everybody down to do any licensing for his characters and any kind of theme park. Huh. O.J. Snow went to Boston, met with him. They come to an agreement, and they a few months later they were making Dogpatch. They were building Dogpatch USA in Arkansas. That's kind of wild to me because when I think, and maybe pop culture of the '60s is way different than pop culture of today. But if someone were to open a Garfield themed theme park i would imagine that be a really absurd silly like a goofy notion even if it was inside the comic of garfield so the fact that dog patch at all usa exists at all in the real world almost is absurdist to me because the notion of there being a theme park based on garfield or the far side comics or anything like that isn't incredibly silly to me and maybe that's just like the way that pop culture has changed and morphed over the last 60 years but it's it still seems like a really goofy notion am i out of you know out of talking out of school to say something like that or have there been other theme parks i, I mean i guess i think of was it six flags yeah or they whatever? utilize like the dc comics but right and i but guess you but you don't see that anymore outside of that and did it exist anywhere else was were there other places doing things just like well the only place doing? would have been disney okay uh -huh. so oh, yeah so disney was really what sparked this disney came out with a theme park and you could actually for the first time you could meet a character that you had been seeing on tv mm -hmm. it had never been done before and it was a huge success and so that's where it came from and you're right pop culture has changed so much um, and we have so much access to to, to more information than they did then. Um, 
so I think that that makes it a little more relevant I think too at the in the early stages of the park they even though they took the characters out of the comic strip they still kind of morphed the park into what they thought would be popular for the area for the people that were going to come visit so Al Cap's comic strip had a lot of satire it was very political but the park itself was very family oriented and they kind of shaped it that way and so they took the characters but they really made the park into what they wanted it to be you know to draw the people but Definitely in our culture today, it's hard to imagine some of the, the comic strips coming to life, you know. Yeah. And actually at um, Universal Orlando, there's like a whole section in, I think, in Islands of Adventure. They have a section that's about comic strips. And actually on the outside of this cafe, there's a picture of Lil Abner. And I actually took a picture with it. I think I forgot to show you guys that. But I was like, oh, my gosh, it's Lil Abner. And my husband was like, are you sure? And I'm like, I am absolutely 100% sure that that is Lil Abner. I've seen this character so, enough. Yeah, absolutely. So, And I think even with what you guys are saying, I think Universal even is an example of that there's theme parks kind of everywhere popping up. So, Huh. So why don't you guys, Heather, Jeff, tell us about your experience in Dogpatch USA as kids. What was the experience like being in the park? Because so many of us missed out on it. So what was y'all's experience like growing up and going to Well, Dogpatch my experience USA? actually was pretty limited. I actually didn't remember the park because I was about five. Okay. So I didn't really remember the park. So what happened is, is when my dad passed away, about 10 years ago, I was digging through as we always do, you know, we dig through pictures and I found this picture and I have, I have only, well, this might be the only picture of me and my dad when I was that age, when I was about five. So it really stood out and we're at dog patch. Right. And so it didn't so much. So I didn't, so I was so young, it didn't spark real memories, but it sparked a real interest, you know? And I was like, Oh wait, we're in dog patch. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I just, knew of dog patch from all over the from over the years and so i started doing some research um, on that i remember going to the park several times and i remember when my parents would tell us that we were going to get to go i used to think about the tram that was always my favorite thing because the tram you would park at the top of the hill and the tram would bring you down into the valley and so i i would always i remember always getting excited about being able to ride that tram down i don't know why but that was um it really helps you mentally kind of transfer, you know, kind of transition into the park, I guess mm -hmm. you could say. Um, I, at eight or nine years old, the way the park was laid out, my parents would let us go off on our own, like my sister and I, which, and so that was another big deal, you know, to be able to like leave them and go do rides and things like that, which they never would let us do at the fair, mm -hmm. you know? So those are some memories that I remember. I remember the animal show, cause I loved dogs at the time. And so I remember, um, going and watching the animal show and taking pictures. The pets were the stars, you know, and, and just the characters being there, uh, the train hold up, um, you know, that kind of the anticipation of knowing that you're going to get held up on the train, but not sure when it's going to happen, you know, mm -hmm. just things like that. Um, I have memories of, and, um, so when we first started talking about this project, you know, and when we, we would go there, uh, I would always be with family, aunts, uncles, cousins, my grandparents, you know, and a lot of them have passed on. And so I have those memories as well of being, spending time with family that I don't get to see as much anymore, you know, because everybody's busy. So, you know, those memories. But um, once we started working on the project, um, 
you know, I got more and more excited about it. It was sparking memory, sparking memories for me that I had forgotten, you know, as we're, as I was listening to some of the interviews and stuff. So that was an exciting part of the process. I'm thinking of like, what did, what did this theme park have in terms of attractions? You mentioned that when you started talking, you mentioned the tram and I was like, was this the most exciting thing that they had was the tram is like, <laughs> ride the tram down. And that's like, the roller coaster or whatever, but you also have mentioned there's trains and other rides and that sort of thing. What, what were the rides like? What were, what was the entertainment? So like? uh, they had several different ride options there. The antique cars was a big deal. Um, they didn't have a lot of the big roller coasters and things that you would see in parks nowadays. They mm -hmm. did have a roller coaster at one point. They didn't have it at the beginning, but they ended up bringing it in a few years later. They had the train. The tram was a huge deal um, because it actually brought you down into the park, right. which I mentioned. They had um, they really incorporated the nature in that area. So they had paddle boats and water, a few water related rides they had they still had the trout farm there with fishing that you could do they had built um the square was an, like an old folk folk village and so they mm. had shops there they did shows there every day of course the characters were there that's a big part right. of what dog patch was and really what set it apart because the characters interacted with the people you know if you go like to disney um or somewhere like that there's characters and they might come put their arm around you and take a picture, but they don't interact with you and talk with you. And that's one of the things that was different about Dogpatch. Huh. The characters, they had they had scripts and they practiced and they interacted with the people that were there. And um, and so, you know, it was, it was a lot of different things happening. They had shows, they had music going on constantly every hour. It was super hot there in the summertime. And imagine. so they would, yeah, they had the shows in air-conditioned buildings where you could go and watch a show which is similar to what silver dollar city now does also you know you have a mixture of both and so um but without the titular characters right at silver dollar city yes and so um you know the characters really and that's a lot of what we focused on in the documentary because it's really what set it apart is the characters and the way that they interacted it was a lot i mean we have a script book and i don't even know how many pages thick it is but they they brought those kids in for the summer and they would have to memorize those script books so that they could interact with the guests through the whole summer long i mean they it was a lot what they did mm -hmm. you know it's really it's pretty interesting probably to have to understand a dog patch and the kind of entertainment that they had you kind of have to understand that dog patch was open for 25 years right and it was really three different parks right okay because in the 70s it was all about the characters. Now they had some rides. They had a little roller coaster. You know, they had a slide the first year. You know, they had you know uh, the scrambler and these little rides that you would see now, like carnivals. Mm -hmm. And so they had those kind of rides, and they had kind of carnival games too. But as the park progressed, and the characters throughout the '70s lost their popularity, right? And then the '80s hit, and the '80s were completely. It was a completely different park. Because then the park became about special events. So they did concerts. They had um, Dukes of Hazards there. They had Three Dog Night. They, they had all these, you know, Reba McIntyre. And they had a lot of countries. So Don Gibson and Steve Warner. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And so they, they had all these. So it was really, in the 70s, it was all about the characters. The 80s, they had the characters. But it was really more about special events. Because in the 80s, there were so many other theme parks that were drawing people. 
Silver Dollar City was doing really well. It was growing. They were adding, and they were doing a tremendous job as a, as a park. And, of course, Six Flags, uh, mm-hmm. Liberty Land, all of these theme parks, Frontier City, were all opening up in all of these markets around. So Dogpatch was trying to focus on different events. And then, and then, of course, in the 90s, it changed again. There was actually a point in the 90s where they didn't even have the characters. And, and when they did have them, they weren't licensed. They were bootlegging them. Which is kind of interesting, and then they were also in the in the '90s. They they experimented with not selling tickets. People would just come into the park for free, mm-hmm. and then they would spend money in the park. Right. And so it was completely. And it was had different owners at those times too. '70s all had one owner. '80s had a different owner, and then the '90s had another owner. Huh, that's really interesting. At, at this point, have those characters entered public domain? No. No, are they still? The characters are all still licensed by Cap Enterprises. Okay. Yeah. And we're going to have a real special announcement about that on the 18th. Okay. Yes. Be looking forward to that. So be looking for that announcement. uh, I've done Silver Dollar City a couple of times before, but my big thing, I grew up in Northeast Arkansas, so we attended Liberty Land a lot. We went to Liberty Land so much. And so it's funny to hear you guys talk about your experience with the park and then watching it close down and paralleling that with my own experience of going to Liberty land and hanging out and then it closing down and watching them sell the zip and Pippin, which was like the big wooden roller coaster in Memphis. Um, and seeing those sorts of things like this nostalgia of my childhood kind of get sold and, you know, given away and kind of dispersed from a central location where it's like, whoa, that was a lot of my childhood. It was spent inside that park. Um, and losing that sort of magic that exists in kind of this weird corner, in this case, in this weird corner of Arkansas, something that was, I guess, you know, trying to contend with places like Silver Dollar City. Um, it's just fascinating to hear you guys talk about that and think about my own childhood in going to Liberty Land. Well, I'm interested um, in what it was like, um, I guess, during during its heyday. Like, um, Daniel, you have, like, some stories about um, the, the lives of the workers there. Um, I'm curious a little bit about that. Like, could you tell us a little bit about what it's like to work at Dogpatch? All right. Well, since I didn't attend Dogpatch and I've learned quite a bit through this documentary experience mm-hmm. and through Jeff and Heather's experiences, um, I would say, you know, a lot of what I think what what we've learned through the experience or through this through this documentary is that, um, you know, these these workers came together for the summer and they lived in close quarters. They worked together on a daily basis. It was hot. You know, they worked long hours, you know, just kind of like your typical summer between your years in college, your years after high school. You know, I worked at a camp um, in my early 20s. And so I there's like this sense that I understand what that experience was kind of like. Right. Um, I also worked at like a couple water parks, like in between my high school years. And so there's like that connecting point for me. But I think what's really interesting or what was interesting to me was hearing some of these stories of the people who met their spouses 
during their time at Dogpatch. And that was something that was really cool in thinking about the little summer romances that blossomed Mm -hmm. and turned into marriages, turned into kids, turned into grandkids. And so that is something that is pretty unique about this place and that these people, some of them still live in the area, some of them still live in Harrison and their legacies continue. And so for them to talk about how important that was to their story, to their lives, to their marriage, to the legacy they will leave behind is pretty powerful and pretty neat and really sentimental and, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of, um, kind of, you know, makes you think about, you know, your life. And I think about, you know, my marriage and how my husband and I met and, you know, it's kind of neat those, mm-hmm. how those stories come to be, you know, and Heather and Jeff have their story and, you know, everybody has their stories. And so I think that's pretty neat. So, um, one of the couples that stood out the most to me was, uh, Jim and Jan Sprott and they play, he played earthquake Magoon and she played a Daisy May. And they worked their first, correct me if I'm wrong. They worked their first summer Second summer, I think, is when they really started dating, got engaged, and then they were married by the time they were, um, by the their third summer, second or third summer, correct? And then when they were married and they were working at Dogpatch, they would have other workers over and they'd hang out at, you know, the Sprouts house. And so those are kind of funny things to hear about. And, and I just really like those stories. One of the things that I wanted to say about that, too, is that the uh, the schedules were extremely grueling. So they had to work six days a week. They were expected to work six days a week, um, way more than 40 hours a week. Uh-huh. It was super hot. They only got that one day off, and they were expected to work the entire summer. If they worked the entire summer and finished, they got a bonus um, at the end of the summer on top of their pay. Wow, almost so, with the expectation that some will drop out. So yes, they had to add the bonus that's on. That's exactly what they did. So the schedules were really tough. Um, you know, obviously they were dealing with sunburn in a time. I remember one specific story. She was talking about Jim and Jan, and Jan was telling us about getting sunburned on her lips continuously. And it was in the time before really being able to just walk into, you know, any big box store and buy a sunscreen. So there's, if you think about those conditions today, I don't know how many 20-year-olds would work in that kind of environment, you know? It's funny, but they all loved it and they have good memories. And there, we have some great stories in the film about some of the things that they went through and did just to be a part of that. And they would actually, um, you know, the, the leaders of Dogpatch, the entertainment directors would go and they would tour the United States and they'd put posters up and they would hold um, auditions at colleges so some of these kids came from you know texas and all these different yeah different places to come in and work for the summer at dog patch for the whole summer yeah so the entertainment troupe um those people were all hired they all auditioned and they auditioned at colleges and it was mainly drama students and musicians and those so those students would come to dog patch and they would have to find a place to live you got to realize it's uh it's 1967 right and so the accommodations were not what we're used to. In fact, we interviewed a guy, and, and he said, hey, I could either go work at Dogpatch and play Pappy, or I could go home and haul hay. You know, there, you got to think, in 1967, you didn't just go, everybody couldn't just go get a job as a student at a Taco Bell right. or a coffee shop. That stuff didn't exist, especially in Harrison. Yeah. And so Harrison employed at one time 300 people during the summer. And so if you were a high school student, and you were 16, you'd work at Dogpatch all summer. Mm-hmm. And so, and then if you were uh, at a college and you wanted to travel up and audition, you could play Daisy or Earthquake or 
Nightmare Alice or Moonbeam. All these characters. Nightmare Alice. Nightmare Alice. I have not read. (laughs) (laughs) And so they they loved it because it was, you know, they got paid to Mm -hmm. do something that they love to do. Now they made a dollar 40 an hour. I mean, yikes. You you got a real dollar 40 an hour. And then if they stayed, because a lot of them did, it was hot. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of them would quit. So they would give them a bonus at the end of the year. Wasn't much, but they tried to keep them. Right. This is uh, this is so fascinating and fun because part of me is like millennials today will never know what it's like. Um, oh, it's but kinda, they 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 won't because <laughs> yes, this is, it's yeah. it's kind of a self jab because you know my summer jobs were not you know playing Pappy in some uh, theme park in Harrison, Arkansas. Um, but also this what you were talking about, Danielle about. I think we have a tendency to feel like generations older than us do not experience life or childhood or, you know, youth the same way that we do. Cause I'm a kid and my parents don't understand me at all or whatever, but you have like, yes, they're working these grueling jobs, which we will hopefully never see again. <laughs> um, and low wages, extremely low wages. Um, but you also see, they were having like the same experiences that kids at summer camps have every summer now. Like they were falling in love with this person they met four weeks ago and, oh my God, we're going to have the most wonderful, beautiful babies and that sort of thing. And it's just, it's really fascinating to hear how some of those stories might come out in the film and sounds like they will come out in the film where kids like myself will look back and think like, those people are my grandparents' age and they were having the same experiences of youth and love and childhood that I had, you know, when I was that age. And they were falling in love with complete strangers that they had met and are now working with at summer camp. And I think taking some of these stories, whether it's, I mean, I think we just lose so much sight with history of like the reality of humans uh actually being humans in their time and not just like an artifact of history um so when i talk to my grandparents having stories where they convey like oh it was it was the years of our lives and it was incredible and it was beautiful and it was wonderful and the world was full of magic so hearing some of these stories in the film i'm really looking forward to because i think it really takes that veneer of like history is just artifacts and kind of removes that and says like, there were humans like just like you alive, you know, 70 years ago who were going through the same stuff that you went through, you know, no less than 10 years ago. And that's really exciting and fascinating uh, for me. And I'm really looking forward to hear some of that. Awesome. I think also it goes back to the quote from Al Cap that is part of the title of our film, Uh which is an average stone age community. And I think that's something that we forget that when we are in a community with people experiencing the same things, whether it's a camp, whether it's working at a theme park, whether it's in small towns here in Northwest Arkansas, we are part of community and all communities have a common thread. Um, They have just the different commonalities there. They're average, you know, (laughs) they're all average. They might have their unique aspects, but there's that basic 
underlying theme of we are people, we are drawn to other people, we want to be with other people, we want to experience life with other people. And I think millennials can relate to that a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so you might think I'm a millennial. I'm not. Um, <laughs> everyone gets confused. I look younger, but I'm a Gen Xer. So anyway, but I think, you know, am I right? I've, I think that people do relate to that. And that quote is from Al Cap. And that's one of the quotes he uses to describe the community of Dogpatch within the comic strip and so that's kind of something that's really neat and and when you were talking it was making me think about some of the interviews and um I can imagine some of the grandkids watching their grandparents up there telling some of the stories and you know we had so much footage not everything got in the film but mm -hmm. I remember, you know, one of the couples that we interviewed just talking about how they would sneak into the back of uh one of the shops because there was air conditioning in the shop they would take little uh, 15 minute breaks and they would sneak into the back of these shops so that they could hang out together, you know, and, uh, a lot of them would live together. And so some of the stories that they told, um, you know, about living together and, uh, probably doing some things their parents, maybe not <laughs> <laughs> are real excited about, uh -huh. you know, having to go out of the County cause, uh, Newton County, Boone County was dry at the time, uh -huh. you know, they'd have to make, uh, anyway, it was just, some of those stories are really funny. And I was, when you were talking about that, I was just imagining what some of those grandkids are going to think when they see, because sometimes we do, we see our grandparents as boring and not living lives or whatever, mm -hmm. but they did, they played pranks on each other. They, you know, they did things that their bosses didn't necessarily like in the park. And I remember one of the stories, um, that uh, Jan Sprott was actually telling about Jim, her husband, they're the ones that are married. He would, uh, on really hot days, he would go, he, in character, he would like jump off the bridge into the water, pretend like he was falling uh -huh. into the water. You know, that was something that he liked to do, but they finally had to put a stop to that because uh -huh. the rides were in the water. But, you know, there's just things like that, that when you look at your grandparents, you don't always think that they actually lived a life and goofed off and, uh -huh. you know, those things. So, yeah, you don't really, you know, when you think of your, grandparents or you think of some of those people you don't really think of daisy may right <laughs> or moonbeam mcswine or wolf gal and these were you know these were very beautiful women that were running around the park you don't think of your grandmother in that way mm -hmm. and so now we're seeing these pictures of these you know they were 18 19 20 year old uh, women and men and they were very fit and they worked in a park and so i think there will be some people that will see their grandparents and go I had no idea uh -huh. that grandma looked like that when she was 18. <laughs> <laughs> Which may be upsetting for some people. I imagine. Maybe. It's like, Maybe we can provide some counseling at the premiere. <laughs> <laughs> well, has this provided some good nostalgia for like those that have, I guess, been uncovered in the film? You know, like those that, you know, have pictures of themselves or... Um, you know, hear stories about themselves from somebody else. Has that kind of uncovered all that from four? I think so, some. And I think what most people are going to be um, kind of uh, surprised about is that the people that worked in the park in the 80s, it was different than the people in the 70s. And so what I'm most excited about is connecting the people from the 70s to the people in the 80s because they really don't even know each other because hmm. it was just such a different generation, right? And so the so I'm interested when we have this premiere when we bring these people together and we have some people 
that are that played Daisy and some of these characters, and they're forty five years old, forty eight years old, and we introduce them to the original Daisies and the original characters, and they're sixty five years old. So I'm interested to see how they interact with each other. We have collected how many pictures do you think we have? Thousands, Thousands of pictures from all different people. So. One of the things that happened, and this has happened over and over and over, um, we've collected all these pic pictures from different people, and we've shared some on Facebook and some of the dog patch groups and stuff, and of course we've used hundreds in the film, but we have seen people that have seen are finding pictures of themselves that they've never seen before. And I remember one specific gentleman, I don't remember his name, but we had a promotional photo that they had taken of him in the park, a really good, good picture of him, and he had never seen it before, and he was just blown away, and he wanted a copy. We ended up giving him a copy of that, and so we were help, able to make that connection for him, you know, and so that's been really fun. We've talked at length about the park. Let's talk about the film a little bit. What's the experience been like making this thing? How long have you guys been working on it? Go ahead, Peyton. Well, and I'm sorry, I'm coming off of coming from the Bentville Film Festival where oh, I got to yeah. see a few documentaries. And so, um, you know, I, I heard that you never know where a documentary is going when you start it. And so I really want to hear about, I guess, finding the documentary. Um, this project's actually uh, been harder than I expected for me personally. And so we, we did, I did start out, I just started out with, I wanted this project to be told from the point of view of the people who were there. Hmm. So I didn't want to do this narrative piece where I, I go out and get this real sexy, good-looking person who's great on camera to tell this story because I just didn't think it would have been authentic. Yeah. I just thought it would ruin the project. Uh, as much as I like somebody like Mike Rowe, he'd have killed this project. Sorry, Mike. Love you, but you would have killed this project. <laughs> he is you know what I mean? Listening. He's definitely listening <laughs> he's, to this. He's an avid listener. Mike Rowe is a big fan of us. And so he, he, he just, because we it needed that touch of I was there, mm -hmm. and I saw that, mm -hmm. and I rode that ride, and this is the script that we did, right? And so that was the point of view, which actually made the project, I think, harder for me. Because I couldn't, at times I couldn't, because I didn't know what they were going to say. It's like you guys, you know, we don't, you don't know what we're going to say, mm -hmm. right? And because of that, this podcast could be great if we're great, or it could be horrible if we're horrible. So we took that chance because we interviewed people and we just said, tell us about Daisy. Tell us about Abner. Tell us about the park. Tell us about the tram. And whatever answers they gave us we, was what we had to work with. Mm -hmm. And so I think the process of that and wanting it to be from that point of view uh, was harder than I expected because I had 30 hours of interviews. And if you've ever tried to weed through 30 hours of footage, it takes 30 hours <laughs> every yeah. time you want to. And so I have notebooks full and full and full of, okay, you know, all these markers of when they talked about these things, mm -hmm. but just to go through. So the process for me was much more difficult than I expected, but we had a lot more information. Um, I still have enough to make a whole other film. I mean, I can imagine the editorial process of selecting who whose quote is selected for different things and trying to refine those 30 hours into no more than how long's the film two hours two hours did we have that but we had voice actors we brought voice actors in and we actually redid the scripts right uh-huh and so because we, we wanted to do that i wanted to take original 1968 69 80 photos and i wanted people to hear 
how it would have been on the street that day. Right. And so you're seeing the original and you're hearing these voice actors. Mm-hmm. And so we had all that too. So we're incorporating, you know, voice actors with original pictures, with original stories. Um, it's quite a mix. Right. So it's no more than it's 30 hours weaned down to an hour and a half maybe of conversations with people. I can imagine the editorial process of that is insane and upsetting, like wanting to include everything that's so good. It's been painful in some ways. It has been painful and you always have to, and I would always look at it because we had some people that drove um, quite a distance to get interviewed, Mm. right? And so we didn't get to include them as much as we wanted to. But the project, the film always comes first. Right. How many people did y'all interview? 24. I think so. Roughly 22, uh-huh. 24 people. And was that a combination of workers and attendees and owners? Like what, what was kind of the mix that you guys? It was a, it was a mix of management, characters. Um, we did have two historians because we still had to tell a historical point of view. Right. So we had two historians. Um, we interviewed people who played Daisy. Uh, we, little Abner, we, we interviewed just as, really, we just opened it and anyone that wanted to come. We actually got to interview um, Colin Cap, Al Cap's son, who lives in Little Rock. So that was pretty awesome to yeah. get to bring him in on the project. So. He was uh, young, of course, you know, and he was um, part of this very famous family. You know, his dad in the 70s was as famous as really any character. I mean, if you go online and type in Al Cap, you're going to see Al Cap. Um, with interviews with John Lennon. I mean, this this guy was, and so here he was um, in college in Miami, um, really kind of partying in Miami. And his dad called him and said, hey, you've got 36 hours to be in Harrison, Arkansas. And um, so he packed his bags and drove to Harrison. Jeez. Yeah, in a 67 GTO. <laughs> yeah, brand new city. Yeah. So, so, so his story... Yeah, his his story's pretty interesting, and it's in the film. So, yeah, very well, cool. And it, is it right he didn't know where Arkansas was? No, no, no. He didn't. This is a time before anything. Google can tell you how to get to Arkansas, mm-hmm. right? And so he asked his dad. He said, "Hey, where's Harrison?" And his dad just said, "Well, get a map and figure it out. You got 36 hours Whoa. to get to Harrison, Arkansas." Well. And he put him to work. He came up here and and he worked at Dog Patch for, I want to say about six years. He worked at the park. Yeah. What is, did he get in the film? Does he speak about his experience of how he relates to these characters having worked there? He married Moonbeam. So he, he was the fictional character Moonbeam. Well, the real (laughs) married a comic. uh, Moonbeam is one of the, was one of the more popular female characters right Mm -hmm. next to Daisy. And, um, he met Moonbeam and they fell in love and that's how he stayed in Arkansas. Is because oh, he married trapped here. He married a moonbeam. <laughs> yeah, he sure did. Yeah, I think they had two kids, right? Yeah. Is that right? Two kids together? Maybe three. They had kids together. Yeah, <laughs> they had kids together. They had a number of children together. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Tell us more about the film. Tell us what has been the biggest joy of the film. What's been maybe some of the struggles that you've worked through in 
doing this thing? Well, the biggest struggle for sure for me is editing because okay. I don't feel like I'm a natural editor, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and you guys know editing process. It, it can be sometimes you sit down to edit and you, you either find a flow or you don't and you keep working until you find it, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's been the hardest part for me, editing. And, and um, I showed somebody the other day, they just happened to be in our studio and I showed them my timeline and all the footage that I have to go through and, and they're an editor and they were like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that was probably the most has been the most difficult part. For me. Mm-hmm. I, I think the the best part for all of this for me has been just meeting the people, mm-hmm. the stories um, and the passion that they have for dog patch. Thinking about um, a gentleman, Jim Lavender, who was one of the uh, little Abner's and he uh, lives out on the East coast, but he, talks about how being little Abner changed his life. And he was real introverted before that. And, um, but he looks a lot like little Abner would. And so he got the part. And so it forced him to kind of break out of this, you know, shyness. And he will tell you that playing little Abner at dog patch absolutely changed his life. He went on, he would, he, uh, went on to be, he became a minister, but he traveled all over the world and he kind of had this show that he put together. And, um, he, he has said multiple times that, um, that it changed his life. And so that has been just awesome. Everybody that we've talked to in an interview just loved it. And love their time there. I mean, nobody said anything negative. Uh, there's not not just Jim, but there have been multiple people who have said these characters and this part made a young as a young person absolutely shaped their lives. Mm-hmm. Either they met their spouse there, mm-hmm. or they found a career there. Some of these people still work. Um, Natalie Canaday, okay, she worked in a park. She became a, an actress, a full time actress. Still acts today. She was in Sling Blade, right? Uh-huh. Tess Harper. You guys probably don't even know who Tess Harper is. Not a clue. <laughs> Tess Harper worked at Dogpatch. Now, she didn't work there all summer, so I don't want to mislead anyone. She was only there. They had people that they brought in before the park opened, and they did some special stuff. She didn't get the bonus. She didn't get the bonus. <laughs> but she did win an Academy Award. No big deal. No big deal. Only three of those bonus. have been given out in the state of Arkansas, uh-huh. right? And she's got one of them. Wow. One of our most fun interviewees that we uh, worked with who's in the film is John Spencer who lives in Branson and he's actually part of a show up there still and does entertainment. Um, I can't remember what show he's in, but he's in one of the shows in smoke on the mountain. I think is what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, and sells tickets and you know, some of these people are still in the entertainment business today. Yes, and, it, and, right. it, and so that's the best part of this story. The best part of this story is the story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. from the, from the people that we interviewed. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> yeah, no, I, yeah, I, no, absolutely. I mean, I would piggyback off of all of, all of those comments. I think, you know, <laughs> comes back to the people, comes back to the community. And I think that, that that is right on as far as the best part. And I think just, you know, as we talk about this film and as I've had the opportunity to tell people about this film, even telling Peyton when I ran into him at Onyx Cafe Mm -hmm. and telling him about working on this film has been exciting for me too because I didn't grow up in Arkansas and I grew up in California. And so to me, a theme park was Six Flags or Disneyland or something like that. We had kind of some small things near where I grew up, but I had not ever heard of Dogpatch. And so learning about it and hearing about it has been really fascinating. And so being able to talk to people about it, because I'm a talker, mm-hmm. I always talk to strangers. I didn't know Peyton <laughs> and I right. just started talking to him and, and being able to tell them about this 
story and about dog patch has been a lot of fun. And so then it kind of helps build that interest for people as well. Like, wait, I'm sorry, what are you talking about? Or then the people that you talk to who went there growing up and they'll say, Oh my goodness, I went to dog patch every summer. And other people would say, I feel like that was just a rite of passage for people that grew up in Arkansas, you know, at a certain time frame, obviously for those 25 years. And so those were really interesting stories too. And so coupled with the stories of those who worked at dog patch with these people that we're talking to as the film's being made kind of just brings things to life. And so that was probably one of my favorite parts is hearing all of those things come together. Awesome. So kind of to wrap things up a little bit, let's talk about the kickoff and your first showing your world premiere. Tell us a little bit more about that. So we are premiering the film in Harrison, Arkansas on Friday night, May 18th, which is 50 years uh, to the day from when the park first opened. So it's the 50th anniversary of the opening day of the park. And we are showing it at the Duran Center, which is at North Arkansas College. Uh, we're doing a big premiere event with the cast and crew there. We've opened it up to the public. Um, and then on Saturday, we're doing a matinee at 2 o'clock at the Historic Lyric Theater, which is in downtown Harrison. Um, and that'll just be a film showing at that time. And so we're real excited about the Friday night premiere. It's more than just a film showing. We're going to, obviously, we because of it being cast and crew as well, all, all these characters that we've interviewed are going to be there. These former characters, um, people that have helped us with the project will be there. Um, I just want to talk a little bit, mention Boone County Museum, because they have absolutely helped us from even before when we were just in the research process. Um, they gave us space to use for interviews and to scan pictures and all kinds of stuff. And so they've been a really big part of the project from the beginning. But um, the premiere, and then we'll also have some memorabilia and stuff at the premiere. And uh, we're going to have some special guests. And so we're really excited about that. And that's Friday night, May 18th. We have all the way a from dog patch, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> we came all the way from dog patch. Not Reba McIntyre, though. Not no. Reba McIntyre. Oh, no. She's too Sorry. busy with her KFC promotional stuff these days, isn't she? She's a little busy for that. <laughs> <laughs> So if you visit, we have a website, it's dogpatchfilm.com. And so we're trying to keep that updated with information. So the tickets are going to come down Monday, May the 14th for the Friday night premiere. At the premiere, there will be live music from people who played music in Dogpatch. That's kind of a big deal. A couple things about this premiere that are really going to be uh, special. Number one, the people that will be there. The, this could be one of the last time that we get this cast of characters from dog patch together mm. and so there will be people there who designed the entertainment troupe there will be people that were there from the 70s the 80s and the 90s and so if you're interested at all in dog patch this is the time to come because you're going to get to hang out with people and you're going to get to ask questions to to these people who were there who worked with the owners who um, designed the scripts it's this is your chance to come and and see that live music there will be some characters there from dog patch we're not announcing any but there will be some characters there have a heck of a day at dog patch usa is that what they said that's what they said have a heck of a day heck of a heck of a day at dog patch usa that was pretty repetitive heck of a heck of a heck of a day at dog patch usa dog patch usa i love that i can't say that we're no less repetitive though 
Yeah, we we say hey twice. <laughs> have a heck of a heck of a day with hey hey and WA. Yeah, just steal I it, like Peyton. That. Just steal yeah, it. Yeah, no, it's fine. It, it's not a big deal at all. I mean, they're still licensed, I guess, so maybe we should Intellectual property or whatever. <laughs> in your safe oh, we're, we're in safe safe territory. We're safe. We're okay. safe. Yeah, Micro's not listening either. So, great. <laughs> thank uh, you guys so much. Yes, thank you. And I need to thank Micro for listening. <laughs> <laughs> I want to thank Reva McIntyre for playing the Colonel in the KFC commercials. Who do you want to thank, Peyton? I don't even know. At this point. <laughs> How about the three of you for joining us on the show? <laughs> Again, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. We had a great time, and we're so excited for the film. So we have a Facebook page. It's under Dog, Dog Patch Documentary Film, and we are keeping that updated with anything that we will do beyond the May 18th premiere weekend. Uh, we are hoping to get it into some of the film festivals. Oh, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Can awesome. we? Will we be able to buy the documentary at any point after it's released? Yes, whenever Netflix decides to buy it and put it on there, then you can watch it. <laughs> Very good. But for the for for the time being, maybe the only time to see this documentary right might. now. The only way to see it right now is at the premiere or in Harrison, so the 18th and 19th, and then where we we will do some film festivals and we are working to try to get it out there as places where people can see it. And we are considering a limited edition collector's DVD that would have a thousand pictures with it. Okay. Hmm. Very good. All right. Thanks for joining us y'all. Have Thank a heck you. of a day. Have a heck of a heck of a day. Have a heck of a day. <laughs> <laughs>